It's as easy as turning on a laptop to relocate these days. Tech has always been fluid in this way, but this shift has now made it almost fungible. Like it's it's hard to define a geographic boundary. Like just it moves around. It's kind of like Bitcoin. Decentralized. Like the whole industry is now like that. What does Microsoft's return to the office mean for everybody else? That was one of the questions raised by the tech giant's announcement on Monday that it will fully reopen its Washington state offices, including its Redmond headquarters, starting on February 28th. The company says it will offer flexibility, but it expects most employees to be back in the office at least 50% of the time. Microsoft and other big tech companies were among the first in the country to ask their employees to work from home back at the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. The rest of the industry followed suit at the time. But the return could be different based on fundamental changes in the industry and in society in the meantime. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop, and that was one of the takeaways from my conversation with Michael Schutzler, CEO of the Washington Technology Industry Association. WTIA represents tech companies across Washington state, and it has gone fully virtual itself, giving up its downtown Seattle offices for good. As you'll hear, WTIA is also redefining its own boundaries in all of this. Michael Schutzler, thank you very much for joining us. It's great to see you, Todd. So we're both here in our home offices two years later. But just this week, Microsoft and Expedia announced plans to return to the office in a hybrid manner. Uh It made me want to jump on the line with you because you have in your membership at the WTIA a really interesting cross-section of technology companies from across the state and the Seattle region. What are you hearing at this point in the pandemic about what companies are doing and what they're planning in terms of the return to the office, if they're returning at all? Yeah. It's not a surprise that that Microsoft announced this. They they were leaning towards this in some preliminary announcements. I think they were almost trial ballooning in public a little bit what it would look like and what it would sound like. No no surprise. But the vast majority of companies are definitively declaring they're hybrid. That's the vast majority of tech companies. The other thing that's really interesting is that almost all companies, even the small ones, are no longer geographically bound. And that was already beginning to be true anyway, because that's just the nature of when you flip on the servers for a new game company, you find out, hey, most of our customers are in Brazil. I guess we're a global company, right? That has been going on for some time. What's now also a truth because of this two-year pandemic is that when you post a job opening and you don't have to work in the office, you now consider recruiting people elsewhere. And that's become common, extremely common, not just among large companies, but especially among smaller companies because it just opened up the aperture for the talent pool. So smaller companies are recruiting people from all over the country. They're just not relocating anybody. So that's already normal. And so what we're seeing is that even a small or a mid-sized company in downtown Seattle has got a whole bunch of people that don't live in Seattle and they're certainly not coming back to the office in Seattle because they live in Nashville or they live in Atlanta or Houston, which is interesting cities to bring up, by the way, intentionally. Nashville, Atlanta, and Houston are cities packed full of tech talent. In the case of Microsoft and Expedia, 
they seem to be saying that they expect employees to be in the office at least 50% of the time. So that's one way of defining hybrid. But based on what you're saying, hybrid may be more about the mix of workers in the office versus out of the office on a primary basis. How are you seeing hybrid being defined? Yeah, and that that comes from there are people inside of Microsoft and there are there are executives in other companies as well. They're not the only ones by any means who genuinely believe, and I think there's some data to show evidence for this, they genuinely believe that there are certain activities that just don't lend themselves to a Zoom call. And the very common examples that are brought up a lot are if you're in product development, whiteboarding in a group setting is essential to the creative process. No different than you know a bunch of people sitting in an ad agency trying to brainstorm their way through you know, what a, what, what a set of creatives are going to be for a particular ad campaign. It's just really hard to do those activities, those creative activities in a Zoom setting. There's also no relationship being built in Zoom. Those are transactional meetings. If you want relationship formed, you need interactions. And so I think the companies in which they're really trying to make sure that they don't lose an essential part of the culture of their fabric of collaboration, I think they're going to push really hard for people to come together. So hybrid, therefore, falls into two kind of categories. It's manager dependent. And if you read through all of the fine print in Microsoft's announcement, it's very manager driven. So some departments, and I'm just guessing, I don't know this, but at Microsoft, but I do know this in lots of other companies, you know, the accounting department, y'all can work from wherever you are. In fact, as long as you can do accounting and collaborate electronically with that spreadsheet stuff and the database stuff, we're good. On the other hand, if you're in product management and we're working on the new launch for Xbox version 10 or whatever, mm, we're probably going to want you in the headquarters, right? So I think hybrid is going to depend on job classes. I think hybrid is going to depend on uh, activity sets, like some activity sets people are going to be brought in periodically, maybe quarterly or monthly, as opposed to weekly. And some, it's going to be a mishmash of things. So I think it's, I don't think there's going to be a one size fits all for this answer for this. Are you seeing commonalities in the different approaches among size of companies? In other words, is a smaller company more likely to do one thing or a bigger company more likely to do another? Yeah, sure. And it's almost ironic, actually. It's smaller. When, when I say smaller, I'm saying less than 500 employees, right? So certainly true for 10 employees. But even a company with like three, four, 400 employees, the ratio of the real estate expense as an overhead relative to all the other SGNA dollars, it looms large. Like even a tiny little thing like us, right? We're 70 employees, and we used to be in downtown Seattle. We were spending $550,000, $600,000 a year on basically rent plus stuff to make a place where people come in. Well, when we stopped spending that, we found lots of really good uses for half a million dollars, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> now, imagine you put a few more zeros on there, and like Amazon, Microsoft, man, they've got like billions of dollars of real estate expenditure, quite literally billions of dollars of real estate expenditure. But the way their cost structure is set up and the way they're deployed, they have less flexibility than a little company with 500 employees. 
So you'll find, well, I'm finding that most of the small and mid-sized companies are much more nimble about their approach because they can be about what's the definition of hybrid and when. The one commonality I'm seeing everywhere, it doesn't matter what size the company is, that there is a need for periodic bringing the, the tribe together to work together. And again, the more creative the function, the more frequent. But even, you know, annually, quarterly, whole teams are getting together again. And they're going through the expense of flying everybody or or relocating everyone for a brief period of time with the hotel and the food and all that expense. Because when you, even when you add all that up, it's still a lot less expensive than having a building that you have to go pay rent for and air conditioning and lighting and fees and all that other stuff. We'll be right back with more. I wanted a career in IT, but I didn't know where to start. WGU makes it simple. Their accredited online degree programs cover all kinds of IT specialties, and they have valuable industry certifications built in at no extra cost. The payoff? Having those certs back up my degree makes me look even better to future employers. A nonprofit university that includes top industry certs in their programs? I choose WGU. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. To your point, for an organization like yours or a small startup, it means figuring out what to do with the lease, how to sublet, get out of the lease, whatever. For Microsoft, it means stopping the construction cranes if they were to go that route. I mean, it's literally a huge capital expense versus an operating expense. That's right. And for Amazon, by contrast, I mean, 85, 90% of their real estate footprint is warehouses. It's not office space, right? And they're not going to be able to change that. That is an essential part, part of how they make good on the promise of uh, delivering the stuff within hours of you pushing a button, right? So I think depending on the business model, things are going to change. I do want to bring one thing up that I've been, been reading more about, and I'll send you some links so that you have the uh, information that I'm seeing. But there's an interesting dynamic here in that <laughs> – you know, this industry had a talent shortage problem. We've talked about this many times over the last 10 years. And it's an order of magnitude bigger diversity problem than it has a talent shortage problem. And what we're seeing is evidence that women of color in particular are the least likely to respond positively to you must come back into the office. Because what the women of color are discovering is that they like their jobs more and they like their employment relationship more because they're not being confronted with all that inherent bias microaggressions that they've been dealing with for ever in our industry because there's no in between meetings they come to a meeting and if they're the only black person on the team it just doesn't show up as much on a zoom call with a, a screen full of faces Zoom is transactional, right? So this meeting is about the meeting and that's what it is. And you sign on, you do your meeting and you go say goodbye and you move to your next meeting. There's no in-between stuff. And it's in the in-between stuff where the biases and the discrimination really showed up. And so women of color are expressing themselves um, quite vocally that they're, they're much less interested to come back into that environment now that they've had the pleasure of working in an environment where they don't have to deal with all of that. It's another one of those like those things that we're learning through this whole pandemic. I wonder if companies can use that kind of research. And it sounds like you're basing this in part on some empirical research that right. has been conducted. 
I wonder if companies can use that insight to diversify their workforce by catering to that desire among a broader employee base. I know of some companies, um, well, I'm not going to disclose who because um, we'll let them do their own diversity sure. storytelling. But what a, a common theme that I'm hearing is that because they're no longer required to recruit in Seattle or relocate people to Seattle and their aperture has opened up to a wider pool across the country, they're automatically finding a more diverse pool, which makes it easier for them to achieve the diversity objectives that they had. And now since they're not relocating people from Atlanta or whatever, Houston, pick the spot, they don't have that issue associated with, and I've heard this so many times as we were doing research in, in our DEI work, when, when black people and Hispanic folks are being recruited by tech here to this region, one of the first things they start grappling with is, where am I going to live, right? But if you don't have to relocate, your opportunity set just went up, not just in volume, but in diversity, substantially. Yeah, I think it's going to have a really positive long-term effect on our industry. What becomes of the sense of place in the industry in all of this? Your organization is literally defined by the state. Obviously, we see this at GeekWire. We've rooted ourselves in Seattle. What becomes of our geographic obsession or focus in this transition? Yeah, we just published some research for our primary target audience for this was legislators to help them understand like what's going on in terms of the shifting nature of the economics of our industry and what its impact is on the state. And one of the key takeaways that we really have been beating the drum on is it's as easy as turning on a laptop to relocate these days. And so where the headquarters is, is where the nexus of the relationship is between companies and between companies and the public sector. But just because Microsoft or Amazon or Expedia, you know, those, those companies we started this conversation off with, or any of the other thousands of companies in our state, just because they're creating jobs in the state does not mean that the employees who are taking the jobs are residents of the state. So the definition of the company still has nexus inside the state, but where's the headcount? So things like, remember that whole ruckus noise about headcount taxes and, you know, tax the rich and all that other stuff? Well, it's really going to be hard to do if you can't find the bodies or the revenues for that matter. Tech has always been fluid in this way, but this shift has now made it almost fungible. Like it's it's hard to define a geographic boundary. Like just it moves around. It's equivalent. It doesn't matter. It's kind of like Bitcoin, right? Decentralized. <laughs> like the whole industry has a little Bitcoin flavor to it because it's like, who runs that currency? Nobody. Who controls that currency? Nobody. <laughs> How hard is it to transfer it from company to A or country A to country B? It's really easy. Push a button. Like the whole industry is now like that. Well, WTIA, one of your big focuses is on interacting with the state government, making sure you're representing the interests of your members and the tech industry in the establishment of new policy and law. So what becomes of that in this new environment? Of course. And that has already, that already is starting to take place. Five years ago, we started an apprenticeship program in the state of Washington. And one of our primary partners to get that thing off the ground was Amazon. And within a year of getting the pilot project up here in Seattle, the very first thing they wanted to do was go to Virginia. We're now in 15 states. 
And our, our 401k plan that we launched four years ago for companies in mostly in downtown Seattle is now being used in Philadelphia, in Kansas City, and in Pittsburgh, and in Massachusetts. Like a tech company doesn't have a geographical boundary. So how, if the WTI sets up a service and there's a company in, in Atlanta that wants it, why would we say no? Yeah. So I don't know what the W stands for in Washington Tech Industry Association. It used to mean Washington for purpose of focus, but our whole industry is saying, I don't know what a W is. So maybe it stands for world. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back with more. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. If you're the frontline tech engineer out there working for a mid-sized company, what can that engineer expect in this new world? Is, is some element of working from home going to be a reality for that person? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, and I think um, the flexibility on how to make that decision is going to skew very heavily towards the employee. There, there, like I said, there are going to be some projects and some functions where the company will pull hard on the employee to please do come to work or come to a location to work on this project or to work on this team. But there's an enormous amount of power that's shifted over to the employee that now, I, hey, I'm much more productive if I work from home or if I work and it's not just from home. Like I remember a friend of mine asked me, this is like a year and a half ago, Michael, why are you working from home when you can work from anywhere? And he moved to Hawaii. So he was doing his tech job from Oahu and he's like, dude, son, surf in the afternoon. What are you doing in Seattle? What are you doing in Seattle? <laughs> Indeed. Well, I do, as you probably know, I do occasionally go to Hawaii on a semi-regular basis to go work from um, Hawaii because I can. And I'm, I'm super privileged that I have the financial ability to do that. I, I Sure, why not? My, my wife and I actually started by going to the Oregon coast and campgrounds and like, why are we working from home if we could do it from someplace else? I love it how it's a new definition of the WFH acronym, working from Hawaii. <laughs> if you can, why not, right? It's, it's a, a very a very favorable time zone exchange for the West Coast. What advice would you give based on your experience so far about maintaining, building a company culture and organizational culture in this hybrid slash remote world based on your experience at WTIA? That seems to be the most difficult question to answer for all companies, not just, you know, the small companies. This is also one of the reasons why Microsoft is doing what it's doing and why other companies like Expedia are shifting as hard as they can to at least some portion of the time being in person, because it is very difficult to build culture if you don't have working relationships. The fundamental element of our human existence is that we're pack animals. We do well in groups. We're, we're tribal beings. And if 
we don't have the opportunity to collaborate around the campfire occasionally. Like we don't, we don't do too well as groups. And so that's the hardest thing that companies are grappling with. And, and companies like ours that are hundred percent virtual Twitter, of course, is like that Zillow has decided their headquarters are in the cloud. Like there's a whole bunch of companies that have already made this move too. And we're all grappling. Those of us have decided, okay, we're going to be hundred percent virtual. What does culture mean and how do you build it? Nobody to my knowledge has a great answer on that. Yeah. We're still, still starting to sort that out. Um, it's a cool, a cool place to be. It's very creative and inventive, but nobody has an answer yet. Between this and the whiteboard challenge that you mentioned earlier today, it sounds to me like a great opportunity for entrepreneurs to come in and solve these things. Enormous opportunity to help solve what is that connective tissue? How do you create it? What are mechanisms that make it easier to build relationship across geographical boundaries that expand literally across the globe. That's pretty darn cool what that portends for future work. Michael Schutzler, thank you very much for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Great to see you, Todd. Michael Schutzler is the CEO of the Washington Technology Industry Association. See the show notes on this episode for related links and the related article on GeekWire for excerpts from the conversation. Thank you for listening. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop, and we will be back soon with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.